Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my friends, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari, or welcome back to Catch Up with Louise Makshari, if that's the situation we find ourselves in. If you are returning, thank you so much. I so appreciate you coming back and spending an hour with me, an hour or so, an hour and a half most weeks, it seems like these days. Um, I have had a very hectic week. I'm back in Dublin, and I don't know, when you work for yourself and you've been kicking things down the road... When you return to normal life and you are suddenly confronted with the road, it can be a lot. But um, I'm very lucky to have a lot of work on. Um, but it's been pretty hectic, all right. And trying to manage some at home and work and all that, it's it's complex. Let's just say I am I am looking forward to the return to school next Wednesday. I'm looking forward to that. Definitely, definitely, definitely. And I think he is too, in fairness. Um, I think we're all ready to go back into normal routine. Um, I hope you've had a good week. If not, don't worry. We've got lots of distractions for you over the course of the next hour or so. Um, lots of good stuff coming up. We are going to start, as we always do, with the news catch-up with Aoife Moore. Uh, we do talk about Lucy Letby. Um, I couldn't ignore it as one of the biggest stories of the week. It is the second story that we discuss. I do give a content warning at that time. It is about five minutes long, so it should be easy for you to skip if it's something that is just too much for you to hear about, which I fully understand. To be honest, I felt a bit sick when we were discussing it, um, but it's not the first story. So you can listen to the first story and then you'll hear the content warning. And if you want to skip forward five minutes, you absolutely can. I hope you enjoy, my friends. <coughs> Eva Moore, you're in my house. I feel like we haven't done this here in ages. I know, it's usually pyjama, pyjama town in where I live. Sorry, why do I feel the need to acknowledge the location at the start of everything? I'd say everybody's like, like, who cares? We're not there. I know, and in the background, there is a cat making noise, and that's how you know we're definitely not in my house. Eva hates cats. I do not enjoy cats. You hate them. I don't hate them. You do. Every time one of them comes near you, Oh my you, God, like, I was texting this fella recently, and he was like, yeah, I have a cat. And then I had to pretend that I didn't actually see them as my ultimate nemesis, because he's quite hot. Oh, but you were boomed from the, <laughs> boomed, doomed from the get-go. Yeah, no, I think we're going to have to call it a day, because I'm not on the cats. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there's much news to discuss, so we might as well get going. And let's start with um, this story about armed Gardaí being deployed in Dublin. This is incredibly strange because I saw another statistic recently that actually said that violent assaults in Dublin are actually down. Yeah. 
So this is in response. Can I take that bag off that cat? Yeah, what is going on? It's like they're normally so silent. Keep it in. Um, what? Okay. Violent assaults are down in Dublin. Um, however, this is in response to the... I'm not going to say it's a spate. What was it? Three? Three public, anyway. Assaults on tourists, a Ukrainian actor um, in Dublin city centre. So we know, obviously, we spoke last week about the English football team. We also know about Mr. Timini, the American tourist, and an, Amer- and an Ukrainian actor he was playing in the Abbey were all attacked. Now, um, a greater Garda presence on Dublin streets has been planned, and these ones will be armed. So Helen McEntee, the Justice Minister, has gone to great lengths to say that they're not going to be standing on the corner of the streets. The armed support team has always supported Operation City Centre, but she said, should a knife incident occur, should there be a threat to life, should something get out of hand, what does that mean? Um, they will be there to access. But if they've always been there, then this isn't actually, they're not actually, like, are you doing something or are you not doing something? Garda management has said that they are going to increase visibility in Dublin City Centre, including armed officers, riot police and dog units. Okay, so sorry. You can't have it both ways. It can't be. Helen McEntee is saying something completely different from what the Garda is saying. So 10 million euro was recently allocated um, for greater Garda visibility. I would just like to know realistically i always try and give politicians like the benefit of the doubt right mm. so 10 million euro for greater guard of visibility i understand that that sounds like a good thing but mr tamini the american tourist was attacked 500 feet from a guard station mm. i am struggling to see what visibility actually means because greater guard of visibility is that to make tourists and people walking on the street feel safer just because we can see a Garda? Or is it that, you know, if if you think there's going to be a Garda around, that like you're, you're less, less likely... Like as a deterrent for people? Yeah. Uh, listen, I come from somewhere where we have heavily armed police presence. I don't feel any safer um, for... And I have to say, the PSNI, the record, are, it's not anywhere like America. They're not just shooting, shooting people. people um but it's just this increase in militarization uh, of the police that we see when spates like this happen. And this is the thing, like, there are results all over Dublin, but it's because it's Dublin City Centre that we're talking about it. And also, and I am not saying that this is part of it, but there is a lot of media commentary going on now that Helen McEntee's position uh, and one-time potential future leader of Fine Gael is under threat because Fine Gael love to call themselves the party of law and order. Yeah. And they feel that Helen McEntee is not fulfilling in her role as Minister for Justice because she's prioritising things like hate crime legislation and domestic violence plans. Mm. Uh, Helen McEntee was on RTE this week and she was very strong that she does not really care about the leadership of Fine Gael race. She is there to be the Justice Minister. And that her priority is always going to be keeping people safe, that we needed a, lo- a new domestic violence strategy, we needed hate crime legislation, and she was very strong on it. But there is, a cynic could argue, that putting more armed Garda on the streets of Dublin city centre isn't actually going to do anything other than make middle class people feel better. a bit better yeah. being in Dublin city centre. 
Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, Now, let's move on. And major content warning here, although it has been very difficult, I think, to avoid this story this week, even if you wanted to. Um, But we are going to talk about Lucy Letby now, and it does involve some very dark um, things around children. So if you're sensitive to that and you have managed to avoid the Lucy Leppy case thus far, definitely skip forward five minutes. Yeah, so just for background, Lucy Leppy is a 33-year-old woman. She was a nurse, uh, a paediatric nurse, and she was sentenced at Manchester Crown Court this week with a whole life sentence. She's only the third woman to ever receive one of these in the UK. Mm. She has been found guilty of the murder of seven babies and the attempted murder of six more. However, there is a full inquiry into every single baby that Lucy Letby has ever come in contact with in two different hospitals. Mm. Um, So we know that the ones they were able to prove, because the difficulty is, I listened to quite a lot of podcasts about this this week, so the difficulty is with things like this, is that it has to be beyond a reasonable doubt that her specific action caused the death of the baby. Yeah. But because these are babies in intensive care and in a pediatric... Who already unit, have complex already health have, issues. Yeah, health yeah. issues, sometimes it's harder. So they weren't able to reach a verdict on a few of the babies. Mm. But we know that Lucy Leppe, when she was on shift for a number of babies, uh, injected them with insulin, poisoned them or, or overfed them with milk. And then with some, she injected air um, into their um, little veins. And so one girl who is now seven is blind and has been diagnosed with quadriplegic cerebral palsy. She is nil by mouth and requires major spinal surgery. She was born 15 weeks early. She was only 1.3 ounces and given a 5% chance of survival. He said the father of this child said that God saved her, but then the devil found her. Um, The judge, when he was sentenced in Lethby, said that the crimes were as a cruel calculated and cynical campaign of child murder involving the smallest and most vulnerable of children. There was a deep malevolence bordering on sadism in your actions. During the course of this trial, you have coldly denied any responsibility for your wrongdoing and sought to attribute some fault to others. You have shown no remorse and there are no mitigating factors. This trial has been going on for 10 months. The crimes themselves occurred in 2015 and 2016. Mm. The thing that the police have said... 2016, when my son was in a neonatal unit. No. In Ireland, yeah. Um, so there will be plenty of people who had babies in neonatal units at this time who I'm sure will feel mm-hmm. a deep connection to this. They said that the police and the QC, sorry, KCs have said that the most odd thing for Lucy Letby is they can't find, first of all, a motive or a breaking point. So when someone will go on this kind of rampage, because basically that's what it was, she killed, uh, she attacked three babies in two weeks at one point, but... um. You know, sometimes there'll be a breakup or a parent dies or, or something, you know, that clicks in your brain. They cannot find anything for 2015 for Lucy Lepe. They can't find a motive. There have been a number of theories um, suggested, you know, that she enjoyed the excitement and the adrenaline of the ward when the baby started crashing. Um, that she was obsessed with this doctor and she wanted him on the ward. I find that kind of sexist and too easy. Mm. Um, and that she got a lot of sympathy from her colleagues because when you have a baby die, it's obviously very traumatic for the nurse as well. Mm. Um, all her colleagues said that she was incredibly helpful. Uh, she helped out everyone on a shift. If you phoned in sick, you phoned Lucy and she would cover your shift for you. She seems a very, I know there's no such thing, but a very normal 
girl she bought a house the year um that this started on her own she came from she was an only child with two very middle class parents and it is she is in in modern history the worst child serial killer in britain sometimes things are just impossible to explain and i think that this is one of those the other thing that they were saying that is quite strange and the reason she's different is the only there's only two other women who have end of or and whole of life orders and one of them is Rose West, who's yeah. still alive. And they said that even with the likes of Myra Henley and Rose West, who were both very famous um child serial killers in Britain, there's a sexual element to those murders. Whereas with Lucy Lepe, there isn't. So it's baffling to a lot of psychologists. They can't really work it out. But uh, she hasn't offered any reason, remorse. She's denied all the charges. But they found um, notes in her home when they searched it that she said that she had done it. That she didn't feel like she was a good enough nurse and that's why she killed them. But it doesn't appear that she's going to be forthcoming with any motive. Okay, I feel like honestly, I feel physically sick just even talking about it, and it's so horrific. I I felt like we had to acknowledge it mm-hmm. because it was one of the week's biggest news stories, and um, you know, I couldn't just ignore it. But it is absolutely horrible, and um, hopefully we'll never speak of it again. Mm-hmm. Um, but oh my god, I just could not send more love to the families of those babies, and may mm-hmm. they all rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Big news on the RTE front this week. Ryan Tuberty is not returning. He's not. He's gone. He's gone. Ryan Tuberty released a statement after <clears throat> the final report that came out that exonerated him. I believe we talked about that at the time before the statement came out. Ryan Tuberty's statement came out and said that he was happy that he had been exonerated. And then he was swiftly removed uh, by Kevin Backhurst, the director general, who said that if he had it just been quiet, <laughs> just. Yeah. It was the statement that done him in. Um, Kevin Backhurst was very unhappy about it and said that no one was bigger than RT. And, mm. you know, you work for the company, you do what you're told. And Ryan Tuberty didn't want to do that. He released a statement anyway. And even though a wage had been agreed on, the plan to bring Ryan Tuberty back had been agreed on, that is no longer the case. Uh, we haven't heard much from Ryan Tuberty since until Wednesday. Ryan Tuberty, like all good celebrities, Posted his news on Instagram. He has hinted at a new beginning. He shared... Such a dad. He shared a video of a seaside. Morning on the seaside. Accompanied by Fleetwood Mac's hit Don't Stop. Mm. And he wrote a new dawn. A new day. A new beginning. Stay tuned for more. Well, I mean... In fairness, I, th- I feel like you've slightly oversimplified Kevin Backer's <laughs> position there because what happened was he released a statement which still kind of questioned um, like Ortiz's decision to restate his earnings for 2020 to 2021. Um, and Kevin Backer's is basically like, he said to the nine o'clock news, I just think for the sake of rebuilding trust, which is my focus with the organization, we can't afford to be questioning the facts that are out there. So yeah. it's kind of like, look, it's done. The facts are that we've accepted this. We're accepting the report. So don't be up bringing up more questions yeah while we're in the middle of negotiating your contract yeah so basically if Ryan Tuberty had been quiet and just not put out the statement then he would be back but he's not so we know that the highest earner the national broadcaster Ryan Tuberty has been off air since 22nd of June and now apparently the British broadcasters are baiting down his door I've seen one unverified rumour 
but sure, it's only a podcast. We can say what we want. Um, I saw another. Well, no. <laughs> no, that's not how it works. No, but I'm sure everyone saw that he had been approached by GB News. Well, that's yeah, that's yeah. the story going around. Yeah, the story anyway. around is that he had been approached by GB News. GB News, the home of Arlene Foster and Eamon Holmes. I don't believe that. I think it would be true. I just don't think Tubbs would do it. No, I don't think so. We could be wrong. So. We could be sitting here next week and be completely wrong. Yeah. But um, I'm very interested to see what he does. Very interested. I think he would be good on Radio 4. BBC Radio 4. He's done stuff. He'd be great for like... Mm, and he's great with the book stuff. Yeah, like, I mean, I, I mean, think... he's paid to my plans, but... <laughs> Here's the thing, right? He... He... In theory, he should be a very wealthy man. I mean, we don't know how he spent his money, but he's been paid a lot of money for a long time, right? And so if he is a very wealthy man and he doesn't need to be overly concerned about money, then I think he should do his own thing. I highly recommend starting your own podcast. Do you think? If he has a bit of money, he can afford to pay a team to support him in doing that. And I think he would be very successful commercially and otherwise. Yeah, I suppose. Because he does, like, there's definitely an audience. And oh, a huge audience. They mightn't typically be a podcast audience, which I think he can carve himself out a niche there. Yeah, I think what I quite and he could focus on books entirely if he wanted yeah. to. I mean, that's the beauty of podcasts is that you can do what you want. My favorite thing in this whole thing was Oliver Callan. <laughs> who had been replaced in Ryan Tupperley on his radio show and said, and I think this is the greatest advice. It's a bit of a lesson, I think, on graciously and humbly accepting second chances when they're being offered to you. Mm. But I think it's absolutely true. Um, I've made it very clear. I like Ryan Tupperley and yeah. I think RT um, to have not handled this well in any way, shape or form. And I think Ryan Tupperley has not handled this well. It's been yeah, a shit show. It's Let's been, be honest. Uh, it's been an absolute mess. shit yeah. show. Yeah. Um, well, well, I honestly wish Ryan Tuberty nothing but the best of luck. And I am very interested to see what comes next. Now, Aoife, I'm, I'm, the sports feelings are alive and well in me. I'm going to make you do two sports two bits. sports stories. And we're going to start with... I actually discussed this with your husband like two days ago. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. We are going to start with some of the controversy that came after Spain won the World Cup last week. Um... It's uh, uh, talking of shit shows. Can I just say as well, when I was at, in getting our coffees, I was crossing the road to go back to my car and a man shouted out for me from a lorry. And f- so I was crossing the road at the next day at bus stop. So everyone at the bus stop heard him shout this very vulgar thing out the window. It was like, well, it was on the front of a cement mixer or whatever. It's a big lorry, like far away from me. Um, and I just would like a man... To stop. To stop. Yeah. And in that vein, <laughs> yeah. Spain's Football Federation chief is in loads of trouble because after Spain won the Women's World Cup last week, he grabbed Jenny Hermoso. Does that mean brother? No, that's Hermano. Uh, Jenny Hermoso on the lips. He grabbed her by the head and kissed her on the lips. Yeah. Yeah. So basically so, they were queuing up to get their medals and stuff. And yeah, there was a so group of like people the on the... It's like, yeah. it's like, you know, at the end of the All-Ireland when Michael D. Higgins is there. Imagine Michael D. Higgins just grabbing Dean Rock, right? So he, um, his name is Louis Rubales. He kissed her most so uh, on the lips. <laughs> his name was, is Luis Rubiales. Is that not what I said? No. Listen, I don't speak Spanish. Um... <laughs> They beat England 1-0 on Sunday and he kissed all the other players on the cheek. Um, but per Jenny, he grabbed her and kissed her um, on the lips. So the Premier of Spain said, 
I'm afraid to say his name, not even in case you... Pedro Sanchez. Um, hope that's okay for you, Louise. Fucking didn't know I was doing a podcast with a Duolingo oil. Um, what we saw was an unacceptable gesture. I think the apologies given by Mr. Rubiales are insufficient. And I even think that they are inappropriate and that he must go further. Um... So your man actually apologized in a video on Instagram after he did it because there was such uproar. Mm. He said it was done without any ill intention in a moment of high exuberance. Here we saw it as a natural and normal, but outside it has caused a commotion. I have no choice but to apologize. That's not an apology, man. No. And to learn from this and when re- representing the Federation, take more care. Or, or. Just don't just, grab just, people and just kiss take them more without care their when consent. you're not representing yeah. the Federation as well. Because the thing was, straight after the match, uh, Hermoso said. She said, I didn't, I didn't like, like it. it. Yeah. She was like, oh yeah, I didn't like that. And then it became this huge mess because they even the foot. So the, the Spanish Football Federation is already problematic. Like there's major yeah. ructions within the Spanish team. There were many high level players who didn't go to the World yeah, Cup as so, a result of that. And so already we know that these guys are a problem. And yeah. then this happens. And then he they released a statement with a quote from Hermoso mm-hmm. that she never said. Yeah. And like she wasn't consulted by Yeah, and she like, said it's crazy. Uh she let her she in the statement it said a totally spontaneous mutual gesture because of the immense joy that is won in the World Cup. Um anyway, it's rumbling on and the deputy prime minister uh said that the excuse does not work at all and a kind of sex violence all women suffer daily, and that is when a non-consensual kiss is. And it is a, the socialist government that runs Spain, so they are more left-wing when it comes to gender-based violence stuff like mm. that. But it also is like every single woman watch every single woman watching the World Cup and seeing that happen has been like, that's happened to me. Yeah. Or at least 99% of it has been touched or approached or kissed in a way that we did not yeah. want to be. Yeah. And this is probably, I would argue, one of the highlights of this woman's exactly. life. Exactly. And he's taken it away from her. Such a shit. Yeah, it's so annoying. Um, and staying in sport, we have to talk about the brilliance of the Irish women at the World Athletics Championships this week. Yes. Rashida Adelecki, the Tala woman, came fourth um, yesterday. Or, sorry, th- Wednesday. She's amazing. She's 20. She just turned pro. Uh, She was on a scholarship in America running for a few years in Texas. And then this week she did really well to qualify for the World Athletics Championships final in the 400 meter. Mm -hmm. And then she did really well in the race. Yeah. So she's heading now to Paris. Um, She said that she's got plenty more in the tank. And she said, the main reason I turned professional was so I won't be in the same predicament with college next year. I'll be more fresh and able to actually choose my races to gear towards the Olympic Games. Yeah, because she said basically that their college season started at the very start of the year. So she's been running races all year. Whereas the professional season doesn't start till May. Mm -hmm. So, you know, fresher legs and all that. Yeah. So, um, in essence... This is her peak for the season and the the final for the college was 10 weeks ago where she was the shock winner, 49.20 seconds, almost a full second quicker than she ran last night. But the point is that she doesn't, this is why she's gone professional because she's been running. Mm. Basically, she's been running all year. Yeah. Louise. She's done great. Fair play to her. Yeah. So she turns 21 on Tuesday. Mm. Happy birthday. And uh, yeah, she was only one place off a medal last night. And now she is gearing up for the Olympics. 
and she is on track for a medal in Paris. Yeah, and there were lots of other Irish athletes um, competing and doing really well uh, as well at the World Athletics Championships. It's really exciting. Um, but I suppose the reason that we focus on her is because she she really is like a big hope for us in the future. Yeah, so she was fourth place in the 400 meter. And then this for the second time, second night running, Kira McGeehan, who I saw actually, on uh, she was on the sixth one last night, um, in the 1500 meters. And she was also fourth as well. Um, but as you say, Rasadat Adeleki is the most likely. Well, she's just have. so young. She's got such a very long career young. ahead of her that, or hopefully, um, yeah, I love her too. She's also gorgeous and very stylish and yes. cool. Well, Aoife Moore, thank you so much. Um, I just feel like I should acknowledge that sitting on the table beside me is Aoife Moore's book, The Long Game, Inside Sinn Féin, which is out very, very soon. So if you haven't pre-ordered yet, click the link in the show notes and you can pre-order it now. I'm looking forward to getting stuck into this. I will be an expert. I got a list on of all the newspapers and outlets that are reviewing the book. And I feel a butt elf. <laughs> yeah. This is the hard bit. Yeah. In a few weeks, all the, all the worrying will be over. It's going to be great. Okay, bye. Bye. Last week, you will have heard myself and Aoife talk about, and actually it just came up there in the news as well, about the recent assaults that happened in Dublin City Centre and some of the online discourse around the assaults and around young people and crime in general and antisocial behaviour in Dublin. I thought since last week we were kind of talking about it, but neither of us are experts and uh, we were both saying there has to be a better way than, you know, just prison basically for young people who generally find themselves in this situation by way of trauma or being let down in some capacity in their early life so I thought it would be good to speak to someone who actually is an expert and someone who actually does know what they're talking about so um, I got in touch with Solace Project who their whole goal is to deliver intervention for young people who are at risk and on the margins of the society they do it extensively uh, from a very young age up until people are 26 but you'll hear <laughs> Ashling Golden now who is the Justice Programme's manager for Solace Projects, she'll explain it a lot better than I can and also why it's important that we really consider what leads these young people to this place and how they can absolutely change their course and and um, have a major turnaround. So Ashling, as I was saying to you um, just before we came on here, last week on the podcast we were discussing the recent assaults in Dublin and a general kind of conversation that's been happening around what people might term antisocial behaviour in Dublin specifically. Um, and most of the blame is being laid at the feet of young people and there's been a troubling attitude I think surfacing on the internet that, you know, almost like we should be throwing young people in jail and the punishments aren't enough for them. And um, myself and Aoife were saying that, you know, really there has to be a better solution than that. Um, And I know that that is exactly the kind of work that you guys are doing is trying to give young people better opportunities and trying to kind of steer them away from that kind of behaviour. So maybe to start, you could tell us a little bit about the work of the Solace Project. Um, Yeah, thanks, Louise. So... Solace Project has been working in the southwest inner city for the last 13 years, I think now, because since then, this is certainly no new issue that's just popped up over this summer. Yeah. But we have known that there was young people who are marginalized in society who do not get the same opportunities as most of us do, who don't go through the normal 
uh, milestones that the rest of us uh, might like finishing school, you know, graduations and um, going on to college, you know, all of them different pieces. But due to nothing to do with anything that they have created in their lives, but simply due to the economic and social situation that they live in, that they have been born into, their lives get stunted and they don't get that same level of opportunity. So Solo's Project runs a whole range of projects starting at the age of five because you know, we, we work on the basis that th- this is something you were born into right up to the age of 26, supporting young people on whatever path that they, they find themselves on to try, redirect and go towards a more positive life. So that's from uh, working with young people who are maybe struggling right down in primary school to an after school support system. So allowing to make sure that these young people are getting um, not falling behind at such a, a young age. So <clears throat> getting their homework done and getting all the basic stuff in line. But we move right up to working with young people who are involved in serious offending. Yeah. So actually that that's probably one of the main pieces that we do. Certainly not all of our young people. We have some uh, really strong general youth work programs too. Mm. But we, we specifically work with young people who have found themselves maybe um the topic of one of the conversations that has been up over the last week or in front of the courts or something um we're we're putting forward the the piece that actually this isn't because young people are bad yeah or that anybody has you know it should be forgotten about or was always going to be that way or is, is not worth it but we're doing it because actually young people have the capability of being the best version of themselves yeah. and changing things they're young they have their whole lives ahead of them. And that's where we want to be beside them to say, actually, what else would you like? Yeah. What else can you achieve? And how do we bring it along on that journey? Yeah, I think, um, you know, that was something that that came up on the podcast last week. And I, I suppose I, I'm quite conscious of the fact that a lot of people's lives suffer because of things that have nothing to do with them, as you said. Like even, for example, you know, I come from a a complex family background um, and, you know, I often think that if I didn't, if I hadn't had extended family who were able to support me as a child, you know, who knows where I would be. I I very nearly would have been in care. You know, I very nearly would have been in a very difficult, difficult and different situation. And so I think about this stuff a lot, you know, that, that children don't choose their families they don't choose where they live they don't choose their circumstances but we do know that those circumstances can result in the kind of behavior that we've been talking about absolutely and I I was thinking about this as well during the week that we you know I think a lot of people in the country are really angry about the idea of children being in homeless accommodation and or people, young children having to queue on the streets to access food banks. And and we know that five and six-year-olds should absolutely never be exposed to this type of life because we know it's damaging and we know morally that it's wrong. But what we're seeing when it comes to the teenager is the impact of that of, of that life on behaviour. Mm. But yet something changes in us when we see that it's a five-year-old or a six-year-old, our hearts break and we cry and, you know, them ads on the telly might make us want to, you know, hide behind a cushion. But when it's a 15 or 16-year-old who's acting out in a certain way, it's like we forget the trauma that's yeah. gone in that life. Or we forget that maybe they have been fighting and struggling their whole life. And this is a consequence of that. It doesn't mean that the behavior is okay. And that's what we are coming in to do. We're not coming in to defend it and say, oh, well, this is what happens. Put up with it. Mm-hmm. It's not okay for anybody to mistreat anybody or to assault anybody. But this is 
a is the result of trauma and neglect that may have happened uh, in in their earlier lives. And at 15, 16, 17 years of age, they are still only learning. They're still only navigating their way through the world, you know. Yeah, that's such a good point, that disconnect. Um, Because you're right, because we've talked, I mean, everybody, you're right, everybody's heart is broken over the fact that there are so many families living in homelessness and so many children, and I've thought about it so much. But there is a disconnect then when when it gets to older kids, and there is kind of an assumption. And also people get very um like judgy and like you know mean about parents and the parenting and you know there are so many different factors that go into the the development of a child it can be derailed in so many ways but it's rarely actually the child's fault is it like it, it, it's not the child's fault. It's, it's the environment of, of what they've grown up in, and a lot of the time, it's, it's absolutely not the parents' fault either. Mm-hmm. I have so many um, parents, generally mothers, who their hearts are broken trying to protect their child from what's going on outside their front door. So that you know, we can set the boundaries, we can do as much as we can, but if you're trying to, you know, have a job, put money up, food on the table, get them through school, and also then you're looking at your front door and there's there's the drugs trade, live and healthy, you know, businesses booming. You know, there's a battle. There's a constant battle to go on. There's not just the keeping them safe in terms of environmental pieces, playground. Yeah. You know, it's keeping them safe from the the social inequality that mm. they're, they're growing up in and the impact that the, the drugs trade and stuff is having yeah. in these local communities this is what this is. Even, even if we're talking about it, it's an assault that's happened in the city centre. It's from the exposure to, to a violent way of life. Yeah. You know, nothing, behaviours stem from people's experiences. Yeah. How difficult do you think it is if you're someone who's living somewhere where the drugs trade is rife and, you know, young people are being brought into it? How difficult as a parent is it to keep your child out of that? Horribly difficult. Horribly difficult to keep up with the the demands for to you know for for the clothes for the you know there's there's power that comes with being connected to the mm. to some of the gangs and the organized stuff and I, you know there, there's a pull and there's when you see a lot of people going down that way young people you know when you're a teenager if you can think back to when we were a teenager we didn't really care what our parents said we only wanted to impress our friends I certainly did like yeah. I you know, would have done anything to not be associated with my parents and to have my teenage friends mm-hmm. think I'm, you know, part of the gang. And, you know, when we're older, we're able to stand up for ourselves a little bit more. But when we're a teenager, actually getting that approval of your group of friends is the most important thing in your life. And there's a real battle that a parent has to put up against that. And the idea that the parents don't care, I really have to kick back on. I can tell you, I can see parents literally whose hearts are broken yeah. trying to do what they can do. But... It's not always easy and sometimes they need that bit of extra support that doesn't come to and certainly the attack of, you know, or take away money and stuff like that. That does nothing to help. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was really struck and obviously I'm not asking you to comment on any individual case, but I was really struck by the reporting of the teenager who was in court recently over an assault that he cried throughout. Yeah. Because I thought it's so easy to kind of characterize these young people as like, 
you know, being rough and bad and like lost causes and they're, you know, they're all they're just bad kids. And it and and obviously that's far too two dimensional. That's not how life works. Yeah. That's not how people work. But the idea of this kid who was obviously scared, I mean, I don't know what he was feeling, but I would imagine he was scared. I, whatever was making him cry on that day throughout the, the situation just were, was such a stark reminder to me that he was a kid, you know, yeah. and and. Uh- I can't imagine how difficult it is to navigate all that stuff, you know, to to even do the kind of stuff that you end up being brought into if you do end up joining in the drugs trade at that young age. It absolutely is. And sometimes, it, you know, the like, we spend a lot of time in the court system. It's, it is it is a courtroom. You know, people hear uh, juvenile court, court 55, and think that we're, you know, maybe sitting around and around a pool table having a conversation. It's a courtroom. It, there's a judge. There's guardie. There's, you know, it, it, it's a proper courtroom with sanctions from the law that will be in place. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's absolutely intimidating. But, you know, I'm not saying that they shouldn't end up there. No. Done, I absolutely understand yeah. that. But as you said, it's it's not just one dimensional. And I think we can see the impact. Like we work in Oberstown and um, we have a full time worker based out there. And we see young people who are in chaos and have done some awful things. Right. And go into Oberstown and thrive mm. when they're in that setting where they are, you know, being cared for, when there's structure, when there's nobody pulling at them to, you know, come out with the gang, come do this. They get to education. They get to talk about how they're getting on. They get cared for. The, the staff in Oberstown do an absolutely amazing job. Mm. And they do really well in that setting. Mm. And I think that really shows that sometimes it's not because they're bad or it's not because there's something wrong with them. It's that they're not getting the exposure to the support system that all children and young people yeah. need. The problem is, and I'm aware that the rate of reoffending when people leave Oberstown is really high. I'm not defending. I'm not saying it isn't. Um, but it's because they go back to the same. Yeah. They go back to the same maybe poverty or inequality or disadvantage that they've left. Or even the same social circle. I mean, like, exactly. you know, you, you see know. it with adults who, you know, say experience addiction and, and when they go back to their, their same friends, it can reignite things. So if adults it's can't the handle their situations, how violence. can kids? Yeah. 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 All of them situations. We need to, to change the home situation and how they do well in Town shows that they are good, capable, positive people who are capable of contributing to society and that's what we see every day we get yeah. to see the best side of what they do and the young people who come into us and they, they're working on a program or they're trying to get their driver's license or they're you know working through some of some addiction issues or trauma issues that they're going through or even the days where we're like come on let's we go out and you know it's a sunny day the sun's in the sky we'll go out to the 40 foot and we'll jump in the water and we'll have some fun and making you know bringing what should be part of everybody's life that development that support but also that positivity and, and the fun and that's that's the piece that we're trying to do i am not suggesting that people should be led away with when when bad things happen they, they're not but they shouldn't be but actually you know the, the big call for just tr- lock them up and throw them away the key or you know zero tolerance does nothing to stop the problems in the first place yeah we have to try minimize the potential for people to end up ending up in this situation and also distress yeah. But the numbers are tiny. The numbers that we're talking about who have been involved in this type of behavior are really, really, really small. And we have to pull back from any kind of moral panic that our future young people are feral and out mm. of control. It, it's simply not true. I think. And there's the some pretty intense classism in there as well. Absolutely. You know, the tracksuit wearing, you know, they're, they're always that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. and that's absolutely, again, you know, we go to 
Oberstown, you'll see quite a quite a uh, a mixture of young people out there. But I think that the most recent statistics, and I think they're from two thousand nineteen, but um, under seventeens only account for eight percent of crime mm. in this country. Mm. So there's another whole ninety two percent that's happening. You know that that's not being done by young people. You yeah. know, and this, so sometimes we get we get caught up in a, in a bit of a, a moral panic and. Mm. Obviously, there's the whole piece that as, as we get older, you know, groups of teenagers can be can be somewhat intimidating. Doesn't actually mean that they're doing anything wrong. Yeah, you know, you know, who didn't when they were teenagers hang out in groups? Who didn't, you know, congregate all together? That's what we did. But when we get older, we we don't like it. We're like, yeah. oh, that's not how we behave. So yeah. that's what they should. Whereas we've got to invest in them. We've got to tell the young people. You belong in this community. You're involved. You're wanted. You're important. Yeah. And where do you want to go? You have potential. Yeah. You have potential. You don't have to, you know, go to Trinity and study medicine. We're not asking you to do that. But what would you like? Where do you want to go with your life? Yeah. And that, that's what we're trying to do. And trying to kind of fight back at some of them disadvantages that they face from from the moment that they're born. And you know, I'd really say to people. Try to see all of the good stuff that, that young people are doing, how people turn their lives around. And we are not the worst thing that we've done. We yeah. are. There's so many dimensions to everything that a human does. And, you know, if we were to be defined by our worth, the worst thing we've ever done in our lives, and that's all people see of us, it's very hard to pull your, yeah. yourself mentally out of that. So, yeah. you know, young people can turn around, can change we have a juvenile justice system because we accept the reason it is different from the adult system is because teenagers and children are not able to make the conscious and informed decisions that adults are able to make. Yeah. Their brains aren't at that piece. We need a different approach. Yeah. And that's supportive, developmental, fun, and with a sense of self-worth within it. Yeah, because I was doing some reading before um, I came on to talk to you about the link between like low self-worth and low self-esteem and antisocial behavior. And it's there over and over again in the research, um, you know, that that people who feel badly about themselves are are generally more likely to be the kind of person who would find themselves in a situation where they were committing these types of crimes. And when you put it that way, it makes sense that supporting someone and encouraging them and, you know, showing them a different path would be very effective. And I know that there are projects like yours all over the country and there are so many people doing absolutely amazing work, but it does feel like there needs to be more, doesn't there? Absolutely. You know, the, the big call that we make in Solus Project is that every, every teenager should have the access to youth work and support and that kind of progressive development without a doubt. But we're, we really are pushing for those young people who are the the very small number who go on to do the more serious crime, to get sucked in to the more dangerous parts of our society. We need a, a bigger more intentional focus on them i have to say the department of justice has been trying they really have i'll, I'll, I'll give them their, their, their dues they you know they're trying but we need to get youth workers to see that actually it, it's worth the investment in in putting the time into the young people because everybody has the potential to change and the idea that you shouldn't just be because you live in a certain area that you know them services are there actually yeah. people can experience trauma in all different parts of their life so yeah. making sure that them resources are there i know you did an episode a while ago on you know um Tusla there's all this stuff about you know access to cams and mm. you know, all of that together yeah we, we need to get all of that stuff together you know if, you, if you've got a young person who's trauma you know we need access to mental health services yeah if we're talking about addiction we need access to addiction yeah. services 
Yeah. And the role of youth workers and what we do is to be the person by their side to the whole piece. Yeah. So that direction for come on on the journey with you. You're a bit lost. You don't know what to do. Well, hey, maybe we can we can we can walk on this journey with you and take you along on the path. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we need to do. And I think that's a really good point that like, you know, we can't get annoyed about CAMS and a lack of youth mental health services and TUSLA and homelessness and all those things without making the connection to yeah. what then happens, as you pointed out. And I think that's such a good point. Well, I just have so much respect for you and the work that you're doing you. and the project. I, I And I love to hear you say, and I think it's really important that people go away and, and remember that you have said repeatedly, you have seen young people turn it around. You've seen young people, you know, change and, right. and, and change their lives and the potential in every individual person is there. Um, and we have to remember that as a society and not just write people off. And we've seen people involved in the most serious crime, because again, that that's specifically what we do. They can turn their life around. Yeah. So, you know, young people who are getting on, you know, on, an, on a regular journey can be, a, you know, really do well and will be the future of our country. But even those who have had the toughest of lives and have maybe done some of the stuff that we don't want to happen can turn their lives around and are, and there are so many people across in Sulla's project where I work and in all the youth projects across Dublin and wider who are investing the time into these young people because one, they're worth it and two, because it can work. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much. That's Ashling Golden, Justice Programs Manager for the Souls Project. Thank you so much, Ashling. Thanks very much, Louis. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. the hell is going on with scooter brawn that is one of the big celebrity questions this week but there is lots more to discuss as well discuss there's lots more to discuss as well do i speak english i'm like having one of those brain glitches where i'm like are you even functioning in this world anyway 
Lots to discuss in celebs this week. Cassie Delaney is here to shepherd us through the stories. Well, Cassie Delaney, it is a joy to have you once again on the podcast to talk about the antics of the world's celebs. And there is interesting stuff to talk about this week. And I think we should start with Scooter Braun because I think there are probably lots of people who have never heard the name Scooter Braun um, if they don't really pay attention to kind of celeb stuff. But he has been on my radar for some time. Yeah, All the Swifties will know who Scooter Braun is. Yeah. So Scooter Braun is this notorious, is probably the right word, um, manager. And he is, you know, where you see the big names in pop music, you will also find Scooter Braun. Like yeah. he represents Justin Bieber, Ariana um, he, and Taylor Swift famously before they f- had a dispute over the ownership of her masters. So like he is obviously a very talented talent manager he's Mm. done a very very good job but over the last couple of weeks his high profile celebs have been exiting en masse from Mm. his talent management agency so the official line that we're getting is that he is focusing on being the ceo of uh the kind of the company that's behind the korean pop sensations bts which we'll get into in a second but you were seeing the likes of Rumours now that Justin has left him, Ariana Grande has left him, um, there is some other, da, 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 Adina Menzel has left, mm-hmm. you know, like Demi Lovato leaving, Jay Balvin, these people who would be like really big ticket acts yeah. for Scooter Braun. So it's no secret, I think, for any Swifty that Scooter Braun is a bit of a jerk like we've been hearing that for like a really really long time that he's just not that nice a guy we can see what he did with Taylor Swift's masters you know he sent them on to he he sold them on to like an investment company for 300 million dollars yeah he's a bit of a just a kind of like talk I think Taylor Swift described him as like the epitome of toxic masculinity in Mm -hmm. the music industry just the kind of guy that we're not going to sit down and have a pint with the kind of guy that you would avoid at all costs yeah the reason I don't date men anymore (laughs) so he's he is his official line is saying that he is going to be fulfilling his larger role as the Hybe American CEO which is the company that manages um BTS and that the artists would be managed by other people in SB so other people behind Scooter Braun would manage the artists but the kind of rumor mill is now saying that there are going to be these revelations about him and his personal life and his behavior that just will not fly basically that you know he cannot continue to be an asshole at this magnitude for this long and not have repercussions so mm-hmm. it's kind of it's one of those stories where like the facts are the artists are leaving the statement is a bit fluffy and we just sit now and we wait for what is promising to be i'd say explosive revelations about who this man really is yeah I mean that seems to be what all the Swifties are hoping for now I will say as you all know I watch too much TikTok um and I do watch a lot of Taylor Swift stuff on TikTok but I've actually gotten to a point where I'm like I can't this is like it's reaching like QAnon levels of conspiracy theorism when I uh, like I was down the rabbit hole of Cardi Kloss's yes. gay husband and his friend the other day and I was like no step back step yeah. back step back this is just this yeah. is too much yeah they're they're I think they're losing it a little bit like they're getting really into like 
basically, I was I was watching a TikTok the other day of someone interviewing someone at a Trump convention, and this woman was talking about this like numerology system that she was teaching herself that they kind of QAnon types believe they can use to decode messages so like it was like the amount of numbers that Michael the letters that Michael Jackson had in his name like added up to 13 and 13 means not true so Michael Jackson isn't dead like this kind of crack and I was like this is like very similar to the numerology shit I've been hearing the Swifties talking about on TikTok so things have really reached like a fever pitch let's be honest about that yeah like the 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 Swifties love a code and Taylor is like the queen of Easter egging through her music. Well, this is the thing. Kind of she stuff. does do it. Like, yeah, but I think she sees what people are doing on the internet and then works her schedule around that. So yeah. that they feel this like intense amount of joy and then buy into it. Yeah. But yes, a, a 16 year old work experience student tried to explain the Taylor Swift numerology thing to me one day. And I just, it was, yeah, it was, it's, I feel like I'm at that stage now. It's like when I tried to teach my mother how to use a mobile phone, I am, that generation I do not follow yeah. do not compute cannot no. cannot understand it and the thing is like obviously people analyze Taylor Swift lyrics for clues all the time and um, there's a few different ones that that they keep pulling up and saying that this is evidence that of like what's going on with Scooter Braun and obviously it's all total speculation um, mm-hmm. but in Vigilante shit she, there's a line that says he was doing lines and crossing all of mine someone told his white collar crimes to the FBI so everybody's like that that's definitely Scooter Braun and the FBI are coming for him. And like, you know, that might not it be true. <laughs> is, but it probably is like Taylor Swift notoriously on the nose. Like it is, could most likely be. And this might explain why everyone's like exiting en masse. And because like the people that are exiting are not necessarily the kind of people that would necessarily stand up for the moral high ground. Like mm. I can't imagine Justin Bieber standing in a room and being like, I don't know what you, you know, I don't like what you said there mm. and leaving, you know, it's probably something with the strong advice of a big expensive legal team Yeah, that they are all, all leaving because now they're all like floating around looking for new management and looking for new whatever else. And like, there's no denying that Scooter Braun, did a good job of managing those people. No, I mean, Jesus, you're talking about some of the, exactly, some of the biggest artists of all time, even. Um, I thought one one TikTok I saw yesterday was saying that Taylor Swift is starting a management company. I was like, what? Shut up. No, like Taylor Swift does not have time to be managing other people's careers. Like she's too busy letting us all down and not getting tickets for a concert. It's fine. We're going to get them. We're going to get them. We're going to be there. I'm manifesting. I really, really see it. It's like the absolute, like appears to me a privilege so I'm like I'm gonna be there I am gonna be there one million percent one million percent um okay anyway we will keep you posted on Scooter Braun and um, let's move on there was a whole kerfuffle this week about Heidi Klum and what she eats and what she doesn't eat oh this is just one of these kind of like ridiculous things but it's it's one of those stories it was like who's did she say it didn't she say it so mm. basically she was on her Instagram stories and I understand that people can be on those and say flipping things so she was doing like an open Q&A with fans and someone asked her how much she weighed weird question don't ask people that no, exactly awful to, like just awful thing to get down to, to get into um Heidi Klum didn't think so she took out a weighing scales and weighed herself what um, normal right behavior there. yeah and revealed her weight um, which I don't want to reveal because no. I think you shouldn't have to. Um, and when asked how she maintains, apparently when asked how she maintains her figures, she talked about her diet of kind of 
you know, three poached eggs in the morning and described what she ate. And I don't know whether she said it was in and around 900 calories or whether a journalist picked it up and estimated it to yeah. be about 900 calories. But the story became that Heidi Klum only eats 900 calories a day. Yeah. Now, as soon as the headlines kind of, you know, started blasting around the place, she did get back onto Instagram and denied it and was like, this is this is not the reality. I just stick to a very healthy diet. Well, quote unquote, very healthy diet. Yeah. That is her perception of it. Um, and I don't know. She, she denies anyway saying that she specifically ate around 900 calories look it's just another one those we had it a couple of weeks ago with Gwyneth and her broth Mm. like it is looking at um people's calorie intake and passing judgment or approval or whatever else I just wish people would stop asking famous people what they eat in a day this whole what I eat in a day like I was so delighted to see a while ago um an Irish influencer get asked, what do you eat in a day? And she was like, "That I'm not going to do that. Like, I actually think it's really damaging and I don't think it's helpful. 100%. Everyone is different. We all have different needs. And I was like, yes, girl, because there, there is this trend to like really dissect and discuss what everyone eats. And it's not healthy because what was, what was gross about this is like whether she said it or not is, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It sparked a conversation then. This story sparked a conversation online. And I saw so many people debating whether or not 900 calories is a healthy amount to eat in a day oh and gosh. lots of people saying babies oh take 900 calories I saw someone say babies I'm currently on 700 calories a day and it's just fine and I was like bitch like and then you had obviously thankfully like you know dietitians you know people with actual qualifications coming out and saying you know this is not okay like you will be malnourished like you have to eat so many yeah. calories but people it starts a conversation which lends credibility to the idea that eating a, a very small amount is quote unquote healthy or can be quote yeah. unquote healthy. And it's very frustrating. The whole conversation, like it shouldn't be a conversation in the first place. It's just, it's, it seems so futile. It's so infuriating to to read about it. I just feel really passionate about this kind of stuff because yeah. you can't, people can't, it's like putting petrol in every single car and expecting it to run the same. That's no. just not how our bodies work. Like exactly. you cannot... You cannot carbon copy someone else's diet and expect the same results. No, but also if you don't eat a lot, if you do eat 700 calories or whatever a day, Mm. like if you regularly underfeed yourself, your body will stop being air quotes hungry. Like you'll stop getting those. This is according to a dietitian I used to see. Like the body will stop sending you the messages. Kind of like if you need to go to the toilet for ages and you don't yeah. go, eventually that like message will stop coming. Like you'll you'll somehow settle into it until you get near a toilet and then it'll be an emergency. Um, and she said that if you don't say eat breakfast every day, you're going to think that you're not hungry in the morning because your body will stop sending you that message that you need to course, eat something. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean your body isn't hungry. It doesn't mean that your body doesn't need food. So just because you can get to a place where you're kind of relatively at peace with a very small amount of calories and you don't think your body is hungry doesn't mean that your body doesn't actually need nutrition and nourishment i know (sighs) i would just have to stop holding on to this belief that there are good foods bad foods or food is bad in general we need it it's the only joy it's the only we have left that we can count on truly just eat the food eat the cake you know eat the cake do your best i agree eat the cake though you do not want to be lying there skinny on your deathbed saying i wish i'd had a fucking chocolate cake honestly um okay let's talk about fire festival haven't heard those two words in a while i for what am like kind of weirdly grossly excited by this which is probably bad because it does 
anyway, look, explain to the people what's happening. Okay, Billy McFarland learns nothing in prison is kind of like the crux of this story, right? So we, everyone knows Fire Festival. Fire Festival was in 2017, I believe, an absolute shit show yeah. of an event. Billy McFarland, um, the organizer, promised this like paradise of a festival, the kind of like luxury abroad experience festival where you were going, flying in, everything was catered, everything was set up for you. Like just like the glamping at EP on speed, like mm-hmm. just pure luxury. You had the likes of Ja Rule signed up. Um, and I think Ja Rule was an investor as yeah. well. And these um, world-class acts promised. Now, in the weeks leading up to the festival, a lot of these acts dropped out because they realized that the organization was an absolute shit show. People got to Fire Festival. And I mean, we, we have... A lifetime worth of memes and hilarious stories out of other people's experiences here they paid thousands upon thousands of euro to be flown into this island and it was um it was a disaster just an absolute disaster tents weren't properly set up the food notoriously was two plain pieces of bread <laughs> with a slice of cheese and an undressed salad like an just, easy single <laughs> like just awful looking things um and classic like rich people get duped and it is just um, it was it was like hilarious. It was a good day on the internet. It. it was a good day on the internet. Yeah, a great day on the internet. We got some. <laughs> we got a couple of documentaries out of the, the streaming services. Yeah, gave us a, a ton of documentaries about it. And ultimately, Billy McFarland went to jail because he was found guilty of defrauding investors and um, artists and suppliers and things like that, and and other things causing damage to the local area, stuff like that. So he went off to prison. Was sentenced to six years. Served four. Has come out of prison, and is like. Fire Festival 2, who's ready? He's like, in solitary confinement, I wrote a 50-page plan of how we're going to make this work. And basically, is just trying to trying to leverage the attention he got for his first crime to commit it again, but promising that he's going to work with a logistical company and whatever else. And the sad thing is, he probably will do it again. And he probably will get investment again. The first it's, it's, batch of tickets are apparently already sold out. No, this was Is this true? He launched, he launched the tickets on Sunday. And he there's the first... So he's got them tiered. And there's like one to 100. And then it goes up in tiers or whatever. Now, it took a long time for those first 100 to sell. And there, there was funny TikTok videos of people being like, he can't even shift the first 100 tickets. At like, But I mean, like, they're $500 a a piece you know okay but it's um, but it's only 100 tickets so yeah it's only 100 tickets so i think he might have seen the reaction to the kind of haha on tiktok and gone in and maybe said that those ones are sold out and pushed people into <laughs> into tier two i think people would rather pay more knowing that there were at least 300 tickets sold yeah. than to be in that first kind of like you're just you're just fucking your 500 dollars away wow. now he has said that the money will be held until the artists are confirmed. So I think you can like put a hold on your, not actually, you know, do that yeah. thing, there's a hold on your card for the money, which is no good to you because you obviously still can't spend the money. But it's just a classic case of privileged white boy does bad thing, learns nothing, does it again. Please give me like one ounce of his chutzpah. The confidence or the, even the, like just the audacity to come out of solitary confinement and be like my 50 page proposal <laughs> and we go again yeah <laughs> and I was like sir you do not need 50 pages to understand why this did not go right like uh, just 
give uh, someone else a shot like just life. give someone else a go Honestly. At, um, at making something yeah Honestly, i love Horrendous. it okay um let's talk there is a new fraser coming out we knew this and um, that there was a new series coming but a photograph has been uh. released of the new fraser and it's going to uh. feature nicholas lindhurst from only fools and horses now i didn't didn't know who nicholas lindhurst was but if you in the photo by name. you definitely yeah, recognize him you have him. to be like Rodney sorry I'm just need to let a dog out of the room let the dog just out working from home and stuff just never did it ever get easier for anyone <laughs> go doggy um, go free yeah go on she doesn't want to be in it she doesn't have the she doesn't have the <sighs> anyway so Yes, this is very, very exciting. I obviously, I know who um, Nicholas Lindhurst is because he's practically, he's like one half of my namesake. He's Rodney from Only Fields and Horses, dated a Cassandra. Hmm. My father was a fan of Only Fields and Horses and here I am, Cassandra. Delaney. No way, that's gas. Yeah, I also dated a man who looked very like Rodney <laughs> for my sins many, 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 many years ago. Um <laughs> Yeah, so this is really exciting for, for for Fraser fans. It's coming back. I just really hope. Um, oh, the, I suppose the exciting thing about Nicholas Linters is that he notor- like he hasn't done a lot since Only Fills and Horses because mm. he was like the primary care for his son, and um, mm. he like made that conscious step back from you know from acting so that he mm. could look after his family. Uh, so now he's back. Um, repri- like in this great role, great opportunity for him. Looking, I just I don't know. I expect him to just look exactly like Rodney, which he does not. He is he has aged as we all have. Yeah, is- and he's gonna play like a an old college pal of Fraser's apparently. Um, which I think is gas. Like I, I liked Fraser a lot. I do not like Kelsey Grammer. Um. Mm. Anyone who has seen the way he treated Camille Grammer on The Real Houses of Beverly Hills um, will be right there with me, I suspect. But Fraser's such a great character, so I really hope it's good. I really, 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 really hope it's good. I really hope it doesn't get the treatment of 90s TV show meets streaming service meets mm. a very, very strange new tone and yeah. new world. Like, just kind of let them sit there they were problematic back in the day all these old 19 tv shows i'm looking at you sex in the city and Mm. then you bring them back and you try to make them work in a modern audience and it's i don't know i just can't yeah can't anymore yeah we'll have to wait and see how it actually turns out and then quickly i just felt like we should acknowledge the death of michael parkinson um absolute icon of broadcasting yeah incredible i don't think i don't think i realized I know obviously he was on he was on our airwaves for years and years and years and years. But when you're reading kind of his his um, his legacy and realizing that like, he interviewed over like 2000 guests just on one of his shows, yeah. just an incredible, uh, incredible figurehead and someone that I think a lot of journalists looked up to. Hmm. I love when um, you're reading about someone and the guests and people he met say that he was the same on air as he was in real yeah. life, a genuine, authentic person. That's probably why he had such great success as an interviewer yeah. and a broadcaster. And um, he sadly passed away at the age of 88 after his family described a short illness in his home. And, um, you know, he had in 2013, he had battled cancer, which had gone into remission. But I imagine it's a, it's a it's something similar to that. Uh, but yeah, just it's it, it's a nice thing to go back and look at some of his older interviews. Um, mm. 
some of the way that he treats people on air, I think is really compassionate. It's one of the, he's one of those interviews. I don't think you'd ever get those. Um, you'd never see those clips of him trying to set up someone for his own benefit and his own humor, mm. the way you see with like a lot of, a lot of the chat show hosts. Like he was really good at like putting himself in the, he like facilitating the conversation rather than being part. Of yeah. The rather than being the star. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Sad. Yeah. But, 88 a good life um rest in peace michael parkinson well cassie delaney thank you so much for joining me today cassie and her compatriots from the creep dive are going to be at the cork podcast festival this weekend on saturday as am i you may see cassie pop up during my uh podcast festival show and we are both on in the firkin crane mine is at four o'clock yours is at 10 isn't it no no eight o'clock eight o'clock why did I make that up in my head? I was like, that's very late for a show. We would never have agreed to attend. <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense. No. Yeah. Okay, so great. So if you want to, you could get a ticket for my show, come and see us and then go for a bit of dinner and a drink and then come back and see the yeah. creep dive. It's going to be a great night. That's what I'm going to do. Tapas with us. That's yeah. what, yeah, that is, we're going to have a great day. Yeah, I cannot say freaking green out loud. I just feel like I'm cursing every I know. time I say it. It's wonderful, isn't it? What a pair of words. Um, yeah. Okay, Cass, well, I will see you on Saturday and uh, we'll talk to you again here soon. Bye. Bye. Well, it is just about time for me to go. But before I do, um, I don't have any extensive recommendations for you. I have continued to watch Welcome to Wrexham. That is all of my media consumption currently. Um, But I did want to mention that I am planning to bring Sam tomorrow to see the Ninja Turtles movie because I've heard it's really good. Um, So even though I can't guarantee it, if you are a parent who's trying to get through these last few days of the summer holidays and needs a way of entertaining children, this could be the way Um, because it's been well-reviewed. It's meant to be actually a good crack. And it was written by Seth Rogen. That's what I'm going to do. That's going to be my recommendation to you. If it isn't really good, um, don't come back to me. Um, but I know that things are reaching desperate stakes for many parents in this country now as we head back into the school year. Um, my son has said he's bored about 12 times already today um, and it's only 12 p.m. Anywho, I'm sorry I don't have more recommendations. Hopefully I'm going to have a little bit more free time um, in the next month or so to actually um, consume and read and watch and all that fun stuff. But I love you so much. I cannot tell you how grateful I am that you spend time with me on this podcast. Honestly, I know I say it all the time, but I really and truly mean it. I actually, someone sent me a review um, from Apple Podcasts and I was like, oh yeah, I never tell people to review. If you feel like leaving a review of the podcast on your podcast platform, that does really help. Subscribing, liking, all that kind of crack um, is really helpful wherever it is that you listen. Um, If you want to join the Patreon, please do. It's the link is in the show notes and uh, you can join us over there for a bonus episode twice a month. And of course, never forget that your feedback is always welcome. The number is for the catch up phone where I accept voice notes. And if you're not comfortable leaving a voice note, also text messages 089-209-6423. That's 089-209-6423. And then once a month, we do a mailbag episode over on the Patreon where we listen to and respond to those voice notes and text messages. It's actually my favorite episode. I think I do every month. Um, so once again, 089-209-6423. Okay, I'm like truly babbling. I've, I've kind of, I don't know what's going on. My brain feels like I'm not even speaking English. Thank you to Acast and all my contributors. I will be back with you next week. I hope you have a good one. But if you can't, as I always say, just put one foot in front of the other. They can't all be good, but a good one is definitely coming. It's a good one. It's a good one. It's a good one.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.